MSW Media. Renato, is Mark Meadows cooperating with special counsel Jack Smith against Donald Trump? <sighs> it's complicated. I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal contributor for ABC News. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down into a soundbite or a tweet. We got some interesting scuttlebutt last week about the January 6th case in D.C. from ABC News, which reported that Mark Meadows had received immunity for testimony against Trump. However, after that, his lawyer came out and denied the whole story and said, that's a lie. And... Everyone was completely confused, but you have a theory. I do. Uh, and, and actually, partly it's because the ABC News story, to their credit, was very carefully worded. And so if you read that story very carefully, what he actually received was what I'll call, and we've called, I think we've had this discussion in the past, it's called use immunity, where essentially it's, a, it's, it's less than full immunity. Uh, where you're getting, you can't get charged at all. And what it essentially is, is an order from the court saying, you can't take the fifth, you've got to come in and testify. And it protects both the, that testimony from being used against you, and then also anything derived from that testimony. Yeah, and that can be potentially expansive, I think, because if I'm not mistaken, use immunity is what Congress gave many of the witnesses in Iran-Contra. And so they testified to the congressional committees. And then when independent counsel Lawrence Walsh tried to prosecute them, he wasn't able to show the court that he wasn't able to disentangle the evidence that he used in his case from the testimony that they provided to Congress. And as a result, uh, the convictions of many of these defendants were thrown out. I mean, they were effectively shielded from prosecution as a result. Yeah, I, I think it's a great analogy, a very similar situation. And in, in this context, you know, it can be hard to imagine uh, now that Meadows has use immunity, whether or not he really could be prosecuted, because if, if Smith did go forward and try to prosecute him, there's no question that Meadows' attorneys are going to argue that whatever information he had was, uh, you know, derived because Smith couldn't erase his mind. He had he knew what what Meadows had told him, and that had something to do with the evidence. So, and for practical purposes, Meadows has obtained a, a, effectively something that can very much protect him from prosecution, and in exchange, uh, you know, he has provided some useful information to Jack Smith. Now. I think the, the the piece of this that I think people may be missing is I have reason to believe that um, Meadows' attorney has provided a proffer 
of this information before giving it to Jack Smith. Because in my experience, Asha, prosecutors almost never um, provide use immunity to somebody without knowing what they're going to say, because otherwise uh, they could say all sorts of things and really screw up the prosecutor's case. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes total sense, especially because Jack Smith is going to know if I give this guy use immunity, it's going to foreclose a lot of avenues to potentially prosecute him. Because, again, like what you just said is even any kind of leads that might be generated from his testimony would be off limits as well. So short of like getting some dossier in the mail from an anonymous source that completely implicates Meadows and he can prove is completely independent, that wouldn't happen. Um, what would what would Meadows have had to offer, you think? So I think Meadows had to come forward and, and provide, you know, his attorney, via his attorney, give Jack Smith something that's going to move his case forward. And we learned in the ABC article uh, by Catherine Falders, very excellent reporter, what that was, which is essentially Meadows came forward and said, I told Trump multiple times throughout this that he had absolutely lost the election and Trump didn't really push back. Trump did say, no, I have a genuine belief uh, um, that I, that I won. Um, and that's helpful for Smith because that's, I think part of the hurdle that Smith has to overcome is that Trump's going to say, Hey, I, be I truly believe this all along. And I'm just advocating my, uh, my honest beliefs. There's nothing dishonest here, nothing fraudulent. And that's his main charge is defrauding the United States. I was trying to truthfully put forward my views. What I suspect, Asha, is that Meadows may be holding some things back. I mean, I think it's very important for Meadows not to be seen as a cooperator. And I think this has actually been masterfully played by his attorney. He has a fantastic criminal defense attorney. And I think he basically told his attorney, I don't want to be seen as a flipper. I don't want to be seen as a cooperator. And that's why his attorney came out and blasted the reporting, because a lot of the reporting rushed to he flipped against Trump. He's cooperating. Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying is that by getting use immunity, he's cooperating in substance. I mean, in other words, he's providing information that Jack Smith wants. But he's not doing it in form. He's not doing it through some sort of formal plea deal or, you know, cooperation agreement. So Meadows, via his lawyer, has plausible deniability in the court of public opinion, where while also in the court of law giving something of value to Jack Smith, and presumably he's going to be a star witness if this goes to trial as well. That's right. And he is getting something in exchange. So, in, you know, I think it's, you know, we can call it complicated cooperation. You can call, you can call it whatever you want, uh, but it's something a little different. There are some di important differences, though. You know, we learned, I think our, our listeners probably remember with Michael Cohen, that, for example, even though he was very cooperative with, with Robert Mueller and his team, Southern District of New York wanted to have nothing to do with him because they believed that he was lying about other stuff and that he wasn't truthful about all of his wrongdoing. And part of being cooperators, you're supposed to come in and tell them everything about all of your wrongdoing. And that can be, um, I think, a real a, a, a real issue for someone like Meadows, who probably has a lot to say about Donald Trump and knows a lot of where the bodies are buried with Donald Trump. And so this is a way for Meadows to essentially give enough to Jack Smith to make it worth his while. And I suspect Jack Smith made this deal in part 
because he got something out of it. Okay. He certainly get this helpful testimony like you suggested a moment ago, Asha. I think he will be an important witness, but also to lock him out from being a Trump witness and being somebody who helps Trump at trial. Yeah. And we saw that at play with Michael Flynn too, what you're talking about on the, how for federal plea deals, you have to lay it all on the table because I remember in his criminal information, it wasn't just the false statement. It had had all of his other stuff about Farah and all of this kind of stuff that they didn't um, charge him for. Yeah, it's exactly right. In fact, that's what blew up his cooperation. I mean, he went into all this crazy QAnon stuff later. <clears throat> but for the beginning, it was just like, hey, I'm not willing to tell the truth about all this Farah stuff. And so it was a real question of how are we going to navigate this? And obviously it was complicated because at the time Bill Barr was the attorney general and right. he was secretly trying to help or not so secretly trying to help Flynn. Yeah. So we have this threading of the needle, as it were, by Meadows' lawyer. And I have to say, like, he's actually been quite savvy generally, right? Like, even in his the subpoena that he received from Congress for the January 6th committee, I thought he handled that in a much savvier way than some of the other witnesses who completely stonewalled and ended up being um, prosecuted for contempt of Congress. And Meadows was in a little bit of a, I think, more advantageous position as a chief of staff with, you know, some colorable, I guess, privilege claims or something. But he also cooperated to some degree and then decided not to cooperate on other things. And so it made it much more difficult for the Justice Department to move forward with a contempt of Congress prosecution because it didn't it wasn't as willful or obvious as, say, Bannon or Navarro. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I had written about that, I think, at the time in Politico, about, and it made us, uh, I had a similar view. Uh, not surprising, you and I view a lot of things similarly. Was it the same lawyer, though? Was same it, lawyer. Was he being represented? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, George. He, he's a very good criminal defense attorney, definitely a different class than the people who've been representing Trump and some of these other folks. Um, but it was a very masterful way of handling it. We're going to give up, you know, you want these documents? Okay, here you go. We're going to give you text messages and emails and so on. And then, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll testify up. No, we won't. But it's it's much harder to do a contempt of Congress criminal charge in that case. Then it seems like a disagreement about the scope of the subpoena versus, uh, you know, you trying to defy Congress. Um, and that was smart. And similarly here, I think that he has, you know, really in in D.C. threaded the needle in an important way. And we've talked previously, Asha, about how, you know, I think you've brought up, you know, well, hey, we, they've carefully written the indictment, Jack Smith did, to avoid, um, you know, mentioning Meadows. And I think my theory at the time was like, well, maybe, you know, Smith is taking, Meadows' attorney has convinced Smith to take the position that he's a, quote, witness only. Like he has no liability in this and that. That's another way of going about it, but it requires more trust with Smith. Yeah, and that never made any sense at the time. I mean, you know, that was what you were – like, we were trying to figure out why – and what you're talking about is in the indictment, in the January 6th indictment, you have all of these unindicted co-conspirators, individual one, individual two, that we know are people like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and John Eastman and Kenneth Cheeseborough. But then Mark 
Meadows is just Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. So, you know, he's not being shielded as someone with potential um, the identity isn't being shielded because it might be someone with potential criminal liability, which sort of was incongruous given his centrality in the whole plot. And it sounds like what you're saying is if your theory is correct that he got use immunity, then it makes total sense because essentially Jack Smith would have basically, you know, resigned himself to the fact that he's not going to prosecute meadows and that he is going to be just a witness right and and to, and you know to the credit of meadows lawyer he did get meadows something functionally equivalent to a deal without getting a deal the, the unfortunate thing is despite having this very careful approach uh in dc uh it's a very different world down in fulton county georgia and the honey badger down there is like, I don't give a crap. I'm not going to, we're not going to play this sort of very careful game uh, that they're playing in DC, this like tiptoeing uh, dance that's being done between Jack Smith and, and, and Mark Meadows uh, attorney. And, and of course, Mark Meadows has gotten indicted there. And I'm not, it's not clear to me that the same kind of very careful approach that's worked in DC is going to work down in Georgia. I actually think his lawyers are going to have to adjust their strategy because it doesn't seem to be working for him down there. You're suggesting that if Fonnie Willis were open to it, that he might, that his lawyer may have tried to work something similar out there. Yeah. You know, it's a different world. You know, one thing that is a challenge as a lawyer, I'll just say this is someone who practices in all sorts of different courtrooms you have to modulate who you are in different circumstances. When you're dealing with somebody, a very sophisticated federal prosecutor in a major city, if, you know, and so forth, you can have, you can play these sort of very careful games of how you position it and, you know, use your knowledge of the system to get a great result for your client. That doesn't work a lot of times in state court. I mean, did you see the cooperation deals in, in uh, state court? It was like a checkbox, right? Checkbox. <laughs> right. It's just, yeah. it's, it's a totally different world. And, and I think they're not, I don't think she has any interest in playing footsie with, with Mark Meadows as attorney. It's like, look, if you want to come up and cry and say you're guilty of something like uh, Jenna Ellis or any of you, a great deal. You know, you're not going to get a lot of prison time, but you're going to be up there crying. Uh, and if you're not going to do that, uh, then we're really not interested. We'll see you in, in trial. And I think that's where they're at. Yeah, we're not going to help you save your reputation with, you know, the MAGA crowd or whatever. Though, do you think that it could also have to do with the nature of the charges, right? So what you just said is that what Meadows has to offer Smith, based on this ABC News reporting, is that he can very clearly say Trump knew he lost. I told him he lost. There were 50 people in the room telling him he lost. And guess what? Trump was nodding his head. He understood that he lost. Okay, so and that goes directly to the charges in January 6th, which go to fraud, right? Is that kind of testimony necessarily super helpful for Fonnie Willis's charges? You know, um, I mean, because there's a whole slew of charges that that she's brought. And then, of course, the whole RICO scheme. I mean, maybe that's just not as valuable to her for what she needs to prove. I mean, partly, I mean, I feel like she kind of exerted maximum by pressure by throwing all these counts out there. It totally worked with like the Jenna Ellis's and whatever's Jenna Kenneth Cheese Bros of the world where they're facing a bazillion charges. They're like, you know, I'm not doing racketeering, but I'll plead guilty to 
whatever it was, aiding, aiding and abetting a false statement or something. Um, I think with, with, is there something like if, it, let's say I was representing Meadows down in Georgia, I was a Georgia lawyer, uh, which I'm not, but I was out there down there representing uh, Meadows. And I'm like, I, I could try, I'm sure I could find something that Meadows could say. They could be like, you know, we knew these uh, fake electors were not accurate or, you know, we could come up with something to say. But the question is, does she, is she going to, is, is, first of all, is she, is she going to accept that without a guilty plea? <laughs> and I think from her perspective, um, that's probably a no, um, like that's, she wants convictions. Um, she's not giving people a get out of jail free card. I, I could be wrong, but I think she views it in a more black and white way. And there's no way, I feel like there was some lawyerly discussion. I remember reading or seeing that whether that Iran-Contra complication that we talked about before could happen with Fonnie Willis, given that Meadows got use immunity in the federal case and whether it would impact her ability to prosecute him in state court. I don't see how it could. I mean, it. I mean, as far as I can tell, there hasn't been a lot of overlapping or cooperation between Fonnie Willis and the special counsel, as far as I know, maybe I'm wrong. Um, it seems like her case is fully independent. Yeah, I think she's exactly right. I mean, that testimony was not public. It wasn't like it was published in Time magazine or something. It's it's yeah, it's private grand jury, you know, secret grand jury testimony. I imagine that Fonnie Willis and her team are going to say, we have no idea what he said <laughs> because it's a right. secret grand jury proceeding, a different sovereign. We have no idea. Um, we'll see you in court. I mean, uh, so I think that I, I do think that Meadows, I mean, I think an interesting overarching story or kind of an interesting thing for our for future episodes is how the Meadows team kind of adapt and like what where does Meadows end up in Georgia? Because I think in Georgia, this my trade strategy may need to be to dig into the weeds and try to and try this case against Fonnie Willis to try to beat her. I think that may ultimately be his best way out of this if he doesn't want to take a charge. I have a question. Do you think that had he been able to remove it to federal court, that then that this use immunity could have then muddied the waters much more or no? Would that not have made any difference? I don't think so. I mean, that, it's still it's the still, same case, still the same parties. Yeah. yeah, I think that. But I think he it, it was it's another example, by the way, of it would have been into an, an it, it, he was trying to move it to a forum that fit his team and what they were trying to do. And that didn't work. And so now he's stuck back in her home turf and he's back at, you know, McDonald's and his choices are like McGriddles and Egg McMuffin. You know what I mean? It is what it is. Like he's just, he's stuck with, with the choices that he has. He's not gonna, he's not, at, you know, at uh, create your own dish at the, at the Mongolian walk or whatever. So he, he unfortunately for him, um, you know, he's, 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 uh, I think he wanted to get into a different form. He wanted to have a judge that was going to listen to all sorts of fancy arguments and, and maybe have a different jury pool and it didn't pan out. And so now is he's going to have to put those sorts of ideas behind and adapt to a whole new world. Yeah. And if his interest is that he doesn't want to publicly, both publicly admit wrongdoing or look like he is, helping a prosecutor against Trump, then it sounds like really his only option is going to be to let it go to trial and let the chips fall where they may. Sure looks like it right now. 
it's Groundhog Day, and <laughs> uh, Judge Chutkin has reinstated her gag order against Trump. And just to recap where that was, so she issued a gag order, um, a limited, I don't know, is it a partial gag order? Whatever it is. It was a... a order that he couldn't make any public statements or direct others to make any public statements that target and underscore that word. Number one, the special counsel prosecuting this case or his staff. Number two, defense counsel or their staff. Number three, any of this court staff or other supporting personnel. Or number four, any reasonably foreseeable witness or the substance of their testimony. Then Trump wanted to appeal it and wanted a stay pending appeal. But you first appeal the stay or you first appeal the order to the judge herself. Correct. Where or She reconsidered her own gag order, uh, which she did pause from going into effect until the parties could brief it. Then after they briefed it, she's like, not shockingly, she's like, no, yeah, I don't, I think that this, uh, I think I, I, I don't think there's any constitutional <laughs> problems with this. So I'm going to let it go into effect. Listen to her credit also, um, that bolstering her point of view is that in that two week interim where she had paused it going into effect, he completely attacked Mark Meadows. Yeah. And that, that's a helpful fact for the prosecution. I mean, they, of course, brought that to her attention. So that's helpful for her. I actually think, it's it, her case is a little stronger now than it was when she first uh, instituted the gag order. As a result, it goes to our first segment, which is he was responding to the ABC News report, and he said, "This is a quote from Trump: Some people would make that deal, but they are weaklings and cowards, and so bad for the future of our failing nation. I don't think that Mark Meadows is one of them." But who really knows? Who knows? Indeed. So, you know, that I think was sort of, um, I, I suspect, inter- being interpreted as, as menacing or threatening. But I think this gets to the issue, uh, which is now going to be appealed to the appellate court, um, is a constitutional issue. And interestingly, the ACLU has come out on basically in favor of Trump's legal argument, at least. Yeah. And, and so did uh, Erwin Chermaninsky, who's I think a very well-known First Amendment scholar. It was interesting. I mean, they, they didn't go full Trump, but they basically, they definitely disagreed with the gag order. And I think what it underscores, Asha, and I think this is something that that you know a lot about as well, is it underscored that, you know, the way in which courts um, traditionally have been very um, hostile to or skeptical of what's called a prior restraint on speech, where a court or any any governmental body is telling somebody before they say something, don't say this. Um, and obviously this is in the context of somebody's running for office, a presidential candidate and talking about public issues and so on. Yeah. Well, and also it's also about the scope Right. And I think this is the precise issue that's being challenged, which is, you know, you can create uh, 
infringements on speech, it has to be narrowly tailored correct, to a compelling government interest and arguably protecting the integrity of the court system and the personnel and, and witnesses is a compelling government interest. But the question is, is this order narrowly tailored enough? And I think the ACLU has a problem with Judge Chutkin's use of the word target, which they say right. is too vague. They're, they're, what they're suggesting is uh, what does target really mean? And in some ways, I think they gave her some suggested language. <laughs> well, she should uh, just which, adopt. I don't know why she, she could doesn't. just adopt and yeah. you know make it make it more specific. Um, but that's I, I think is centering around what the word target means. And she, I think, Sunday said that there that she thinks target has a clear meaning and. She said it's defined as going after a particular individual by attacking them, subjecting them to ridicule or criticism, or otherwise attempting to affect them. Yeah, that that last that last one's a little, that last clause is a little broad. I, I, I guess you know I I kind of the reason I said that she should probably just do it is you know there's why create an issue for yourself on appeal i mean she you know from my perspective if you more narrowly write the order trump's not going to like sit there read your order and try to like work his way around the rules in some clever way he's just going to he's just going to charge right in anyway so he might as well have very carefully drawn rules that he violates and that might give you a re, uh, a justification for expanding yeah. them later and she can adopt the language and then Presumably, the ACLU will be like, okay, we, we're good with it now. <laughs> you know, I mean, then you got the ACLU on your side and you're like, all right. Right. It makes it easier. So we'll see. I mean, I think to your point, and we talked about this last week or a couple of weeks ago, is however she words it, however narrowly she words it, it's inevitable that Trump is going to violate it in some way. And so then I really think the question is going to be where she goes from there. I agree with that. And I just I'll say for listeners, uh, you know, I'll kind of preview that I don't think she should go from zero to 60 right away. I think, you know, we saw in New York, different judge, different gag order, very more, I'd say even more narrowly tailored towards, you know, judicial staff, which, of course, um, I think they're not public figures. It's It's going to be very. Uh, hard to challenge that for Trump to challenge that on appeal. But, you know, he went with, five, I think, $5,000 and $10,000. I mean, I don't think having an expectation that Judge Chutkin should just go the full Monty right away is realistic. I think just like when your kids uh, do something crazy, um, break the rules, you don't, you know, they're not uh, whatever, grounded for weeks, right? Yeah. You, you, you ratchet it you up. First sent, yeah, yeah, you first sent him to the naughty chair. <laughs> Is that the first punishment in the Rangapa household? Yeah, I don't remember. It's been a long time, but I feel like, you know, there's naughty chair and then you might take something away. You know, for me, I had I had a pretty high escalation ladder, though I did get to the top of it once and threatened to dismember my son's Georgie stuffed animal. Oh, Oh my! And then, yeah, it got to that point. It There's was very an innocent involved. It, 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 got, it got to it got to <laughs> mafia levels where I was like, "I'll cut his tail off." Uh, there was, and he was like, "No." Um, 
So, yeah, we'll see how how far these judges will go and what their escalation ladder looks wow. like. I hope Donald Trump doesn't have any favorite stuffed animals because that that's definitely a, a, a avenue that Judge Judkin could take. So, Asha, we are recording this on Halloween and we've had a Halloween preview episode. So I, I just, I, I pre, in a prior episode, I do want to say for the record, if you watch our YouTube video and you come to our channel, which you can find, not hard to find if you just Google or search, it's complicated podcast, YouTube, whatever, although there'll be a link in it. We can have a link in the description. You will see on the video, Henry in his Halloween costume, but I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, here, but he is very decked out today in his Halloween costume. Yeah, you and you had suggested that this would be his costume when we talked about Halloween last time. Right. So Henry has grown up quite a bit. He's two years old now, and he is a businessman. And so he's got a lot of angles. So he usually he'll come into my office, he gets his pets, and then he dashes off to like to do work. something else. To go and to so, work. Oh, he's got, yeah, he's got, he's got a lot of appointments. So he's very busy. So he's a very busy guy. So he's, he's very, he's all business all the time. If there's some sort of, we give him a lot of medicine because he has some illnesses. That's all very, oh, it's very, there's treats involved. It's very serious business. Everything's very serious now and he's zipping around from thing to thing. So we got him a business suit. Uh, I think it looked very handsome. My wife picked it out. Very handsome business suit. So he looks great. So check out our YouTube video. You can see the photos of Henry in his business suit. Um, but he, so he's the, definitely the most decked out in our household. Okay. Can he give my cat a job? <laughs> Maybe, uh, your cat's gonna have to learn to take direction. I don't know. Pancake seems to be like Pancake a very independent minded. Unemployed and has no motivation, uh, to, to go to work. Um, yeah. And, and fact, yeah, he's a freeloader. He is. And kind of a delinquent kind of engaging in hanky panky. And I, I don't know. I had, I had ideas about getting like a, I've seen the cats in like a spider costume or sometimes they have these like little pirate things where like the front legs become the legs of the pirate. And oh, wow. I just didn't get around to searching for it. Um, and I didn't get a costume this year. And I have to be honest, I'm kind of dreading Halloween tonight. I hate answering the door. What? Okay, I cannot imagine two more different people than you and my wife. My wife bought this witch costume, and she is like, she she spent our money on full candy bars because we cannot give the kids the snack size. She went to Costco and got like, she's like, they're on sale. We got tons of sugar. We're going to be the cool house. Everyone's going to want to come to our house because we give you the full candy bar. So we've got, she's got, she's already got which the whole bar? basket together. Which candy bar? What kind? Yeah. <laughs> A whole assortment. Oh. There's a whole assortment. Tell you what, I will put another, if you come to the YouTube video, I'll put a photo. Uh, will our other producer put in a photo in the video of the, cause she's already put the basket together. It's, it's, it's the morning. No one's coming here yet. And she's already got her bat. She can't wait. She's like, I can't wait till the kids come and I hope we get a lot of trick or treaters. It's like, why? I don't know. But then she brings a lot of joy to her heart. Oh my God. I'm dreading it. Cause it starts at like six o'clock. 
And by eight o'clock, I just like, then I start shutting down the lights and closing my blinds and pretending no one's home. And you know what I used to do is I like, well, one year I tried to leave, I tried to be nice and leave a bowl of candy out on the porch. And then somebody literally stole the bowl. Yeah. I mean, the kid's just going to grab all that crap. You're, I mean, they, I don't know about the bowl. I mean, certainly when you're a kid, you're just going to take a massive handful. Like two kids are going to take all the candy, right? Yeah. So there's no honor code on Halloween, apparently. So I don't know. So I can't do that, but I, I can only answer the door for so long and then I'm like, go away. Wow. Well, if you could train Pancake, maybe he could do it. I will tell you, Henry is going to be at the door. He's he's very busy. I mean, this part of his he's he stands <laughs> on our landing and he watches to make sure everybody is. You know, he sits there on that landing and he's just watching to see if somebody's coming. And then there, he's very he's all on top of that. So, well, enjoy <laughs> Halloween. Um, I'm I'm going to be shutting down early. <laughs> You'll be drinking. You'll be drinking wine indoors, uh, and the kids are going to have to come to our house to get their candy bars. M S W Media. <laughs>